Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and our podcasts have podcasts. <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 58, which begins with pointy things and ends with Tony's prototype. Back on the show, it is Bubba Wheat from the It's Time to Rewind podcast. Hello, Bubba Wheat. Hey, I'm ready to talk about this big, ugly minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, pointy things. I love this conversation. Uh, This is a a really interesting conversation played between these characters here. Uh, You know, we're starting off focusing the attentions to, to Bruce and kind of Tony and Steve arguing, I guess you could say, about, uh, you know, what he can become. And this is that, I, I talked about this, I mentioned this briefly a few minutes ago, but the idea that Tony says that he's tiptoeing and he needs to strut. And I find this such an interesting way for Tony to see kind of the way, like the way that these different characters are operating in their daily lives and what they're doing here. What? How do you two read that as far as like you know is is tony i'm assuming that he is then strutting and and wants to see bruce like more comfortable in his quote skin oh yeah yeah i i like how this conversation really encapsulates the personalities of these three characters and i and i do think that uh tony starks the way he describes that kind of shows where he is because he he came in on, on the Kella character immediately, you know, planted the Jarvis bug in order to start decrypting the the Shield computer, and Bruce is just you know trying to stay out of everything. And even in this conversation, he initially tries to stay out of it. He's he's like, no, I'm I'm staying out of it. I'm I don't you know the, the conflict avoidance. Yeah, because he doesn't want to to rile anything up. And Steve is just kind of blindly following orders for for the most part. Well, and the fact that Steve, I think this is Steve's big pivot, right? This is Steve's big minute where he gets to sit back and stop and listen for the first time to Tony, who he thinks is a buffoon. But really, you know, when he stops and says, "Okay, wait a minute, you think Fury's hiding something you really get the sense that he as portrayed here at least really is is starting to to turn a little bit and at least he too realizes maybe i need to have more information and i think that's i think it's great it's a good turn and it's what gets us into you know captain america's super sniffer of controversy well and it gets i mean it's really that idea of you know steve as you were saying the idea of he needs steve is following orders and he is telling tony you need to focus on the problem and that's that great moment here and as you were just saying pete it's it's kind of like the turn in the conversation when tony says you think i'm not yeah like what why did fury call us in why now why not before what isn't he telling us i can't do the equation unless i have all the variables like right that is the science-minded person like he is constantly trying to figure out what is really going on here and that's i think that the way that Tony has been portrayed thus far in the uh, in the MCU is this character who has to have these uh, or who is 
much more cynical and looks at things. I mean, he's been a weapons developer. Like that was kind of where he and his dad made their fortunes. And so he's kind of a cynical, caustic character. But you get moments like this when he's called in and you can see why it pays off to have him here because he instantly is like, what's the ulterior motive here? Whereas Steve, coming from the 40s, has a totally different mindset. And this is that, as you said, this is that critical pivot that Steve is going to need He's getting that here, and he's going to start shifting and and realizing as this plants a seed in him, and he's he's going to leave to go yeah, do some digging. I, I like the way that was placed. Steve basically comes in trusting the government, right? And the, and this is you know the 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 first seed of you know maybe that the government isn't trustworthy anymore. That's where Steve gets to be tested both as a soldier and his ideological worldview. Like this is. This is yet another example of something that has changed dramatically over the last 70 years, which is you can't trust anybody, even the people you're working with. It's an interesting perspective. And I, I do like the way that that Bruce is portrayed, because even just the way, as you were saying, Bubba Wheat, the way that he's trying to shift back his attention to just I'm just here to do my work. That is exactly the same thing that he's doing when we see him on the streets of Kolkata, where a, a and you know military vehicle drives by and he ducks away or when he first shows up in the helicarrier and and he's looking at a plane and two shield guards walk by and he immediately turns and walks away like he is perpetually avoiding conflict and uh, because he knows where conflict leads him and so even just in a conversation he is still trying to avoid that conflict and it's an interesting way to p- to paint his character and it works and what i like about it is that when pushed, though, it does reveal that he also has his own uh, suspicions and questions what is going on. It's it's interesting that it took this, though, for this to kind of be brought up, because if Steve didn't walk in, I don't know if, if Tony and Bruce's conversation was naturally going to go to this uh, question. And so, to a certain extent, Steve did kind of need to be here as a catalyst to kind of shift the conversation to start talking about this this thing that Loki said, this a warm light for all mankind line. Right. I think you're exactly right on that. I think Steve, uh, Tony would have kept poking to try to continue to engender some sort of reaction from Bruce. Like he's still he was still very much in experimenting mode uh, before he's interrupted by Steve. But it also shows just how many threads Tony has going on all the time. Like he's able to pivot and turn and change his attention and focus and on, on a new thing at any moment. Yeah. I also think that it, it, it does a good job of showing the level of connections that these characters have already built because, you know, even though Bruce does initially go into conflict avoidance mode, it's not like Tony had to push very hard. Right. He just, you know, asked him one more time and then he immediately came into the conversation like it, it wasn't like he really had to push hard he just you know asked him one more time and then he's like oh no well, no yeah, you're this, gonna break me this is <laughs> what i'm thinking <laughs> but it's that super sincere superpower of steve yeah like his face is just so sincere it's hard to say no <laughs> the so let's talk a little bit about i guess what shield's plans are i'm just kind of uh for a moment Let's just go down this uh, path. I'm just curious to think if Tony isn't suspicious and planting bugs on the on the helicarrier's deck, if Steve doesn't go poking, if they don't have this conversation, 
if the if the basically if everything goes as Fury wants it to, where these people come together, they all kind of track the gamma, they find the Tesseract, they stop Loki. What's his end game here? I'm assuming let's just for now say Thor wouldn't be taking the Tesseract and Loki off world. Where what is Fury's end game to have this team and the Tesseract back? Um, is it like where where would he be um, trying to go to with all of this? Well, I, I mean, Fury's the the type of character that he's always constantly working on plans A, B, C, and D simultaneously. So he, he would be furthering the the research on the Tesseract in order to see any any sort of uses, whether it's weaponry, whether it's energy. He would be going in, in several different threads at once while still trying to build the Avengers as his plan A. Yeah, I, I think that this is a this is very much a cake uh, meat eating it too kind of a situation, right? I think Fury is in is actually deep down into the military industrial complex, right? That's his entire job is is, you know, his warm light for all mankind is a shield around the around the world, right? Protecting from everybody. And to do that, he gets to have his fun team of superpowered individuals and he's going to have his weapons. Like that that feels like the end game for Fury is fantastical weapons that solve any problem, also a team that cannot be defeated. That's the idea. That's that that feels like and and it also feels like Fury, I think as much as I liked Fury when this came out, when this movie came out and I like Fury in the comics, like I I just I like the character He's not a good guy, right? He's a, a he, he's he's on Team Shield, but Team Shield, as we've demonstrated time and again so far, just in the first hour of this movie, Team Shield is moving down the road toward fascism, and I he's, they're not good people for sure. And that yeah, he's, he's not quite Amanda Waller, but he's <laughs> not too far off either. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right, and that's a great uh, parallel for DC. Is he's not quite Amanda Waller, but. <laughs> uh, what would it take to get him there? Probably not much. Not much. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think about where Shield would be in the perhaps it could, because I mean, I guess there's a whole other side of things about like the Hydra element within Shield at this particular point in time, but with him not aware of that, I can't see him as operating in that capacity. So it it is one of those things where if if you just go down the road of everything works in his favor, it does paint kind of a, a frightening picture of where the World Security Council is kind of leading shields to uh, with Fury uh, hand in hand. Well, and Andy, here's a here's a, a question to complicate your question. <laughs> Fury, when compared to the World Security Council, appears to be a good guy, right? Because he wants to keep the team together. He wants to try other things before you do other things, like bomb New York City. Like he, he ultimately is he's trying to be a good guy in terms of shield relativism, right? So without the uh, interference of those who find out problems in the conversation we're about to have in the lab, like how far apart do you think Fury and the World Security Council are ultimately in their endgame? Probably not very. Yeah, probably not. In their end game, yeah. Yeah, probably not very. Uh, you know, I mean, they want to just focus on phase two. He's stuck on this Avengers initiative, but they both have the same end goal. And and it's just different ways of getting them there. So, right. Yeah. 
And and I think in this movie especially, the, the Security Council is the Amanda Waller level. Sure. Yeah. Yes. And again, it can be argued that they are where they are because of the Hydra element. But again, we'll we'll deal with that when we get to Winter Soldier. Yes, for sure. Uh, we are getting talk here, though, about uh, this. This is, I suppose, a little bit of telegraphing for uh, Tony's arc reactor. This this idea that he has this arc reactor, self sustaining energy source. It'll run. The prototype will just will run for a year, and it's a little jab at Tony. And it's it's basically Loki saying, "I know how you're trying to sell this thing." And so, again, the mystery of this conversation, I think, plays well as these three are trying to kind of get to the bottom of like what is really the end game here and what what is Loki actually trying to achieve and what is Fury actually doing it's I, I think the conversation plays nicely yeah we also get Tony eating dried blueberries which uh, is a fun little thing and <laughs> it seems like such a Robert Downey Jr. thing to have integrated that into the character I can't imagine that that was scripted maybe it was but it just feels like I mean knowing that green yeah whatever juice that he was drinking in Iron Man, which is definitely a Robert Downey Jr. thing, it really just seems like this is one of his things. That's funny. I didn't actually think about that. Yeah, I've definitely read the trivia that, you know, he was known for hiding snacks all over set, and this this was something that is attributed to you know, Robert Downey Jr. just getting hungry and pulling that, that little bag of blueberries out of, out of nowhere and just starts eating it, and then it just, you know, they worked it, they just left it in, because the, you know, with, instead of fighting it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it works well. I like that he offers it to Bruce. Bruce actually takes them. You never see him eat them, um, and it's funny, because uh, he must just set them down on the counter, because he's not chewing them when he's talking. He, and in one hand, he's holding his glasses, and then he's fiddling with his watch strap, so I'm like, I don't think he's still holding some dried blueberries in his hand, too, but it's just one of those funny things where I like that they did work it in because it does end up feeling weirdly natural for them. But at the same time, it is this plain silver bag. Like, it's not... No branding. Yeah, there's no branding on it, so it's not something that they would have to, like, blur out. Although you could... I could imagine that this came in a box, and then this was the silver bag inside the box. I don't know. It's just... It's such a funny little thing and it, it's the sort of thing that i just i love imagining like there's those points with characters where you feel like they are that they are so close together with their the actor who plays them and like this is one of those things that just like it's such a robert downey jr element in here um i do think it's funny to hear steve calling tony's building this big ugly building um when and i know it's not canon because it's not it, it's not in the film it's a deleted scene but there is that scene where he's sitting in per- in the Pershing Square Cafe just under Stark Tower, and he's sketching it. Like, why yeah. are you sketching it if it's this ugly monstrosity? <laughs> if it's a big, ugly building. That's uh, funny. Yeah. I-, <laughs> I also like that, you know, it's kind of a, a two-step process where, uh, and, and again, I, I feel like this fits right in line with Captain America as a character, where as he says, you know, the, this big ugly, and he pauses because he realizes what he's saying is rude, but he doesn't apologize for it. He just takes a beat and then says building because, you know, he, he 
stands by what he says, but he does take that pause because he realized that what he was saying was rude and he was thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be rude, but it's the truth, so I'm just going to continue. <laughs> yeah, well, also because now I'm a modern man and modern men can say things like this, right? There's something to him, like, I just like the idea of, of him practicing uh, to modernize, practicing the way he engages with people socially. Uh, I think it's funny. It plays, and, and you know, I think, you know, we're going to start getting some great uh, shot reaction shot between these two actors, and you know, this this is a great moment where we start getting some of those. I, I love the. Uh, there's just such a fantastic difference between the characters of Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, and these two actors. I think <laughs> they've found great ways to inhabit them, and like this whole initial phase of this film building to them deciding to work as a team like there is so much contention between the characters i just love the way that these two actors kind of handle it and you know what i think that exchange between them the big ugly building line i think it's actually made better with the deleted scene because it actually demonstrates a a bit of a subtextual mutual admiration that he says big ugly building, but it's because he's in a tense moment and really he doesn't mean it. Deep down, he kind of likes the building and likes what it represents because he was drawing it. Like that's his that's his thing. I, I like that inner tension for Steve too. I like to think that he says it because um, he's pissed at Tony for not offering him some dried blueberries too. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and a big bag of weed. <laughs> He does eventually offer him some blueberries, but I think that's in the yeah, next minute. It'll be it'll be coming, right? Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, minute fifty-eight. Uh, uh, Bubba Wheat, tell everybody again about what you're up to. You know, my main podcast is it's time to rewind, but I, you know, I, I do have other various projects. Uh, another one that I have is a podcast called Lyrical Innuendo. It's uh, a part of Rabbit Hole Podcasts. It's a bit more, you know, for anybody that has followed me, my other projects, this one is a bit more explicit. Uh, it's where me and a co-host, we take a look at a song. It's We pretty much go any song. Uh, we've gone anywhere from like the 50s to current day songs. Um, and we take a look at the lyrics and we basically dissect it for any sort of subtext and and we decide if the lyrics are actually about sex or if they're about drugs or if they're about you know in any other sort of third thing and and it's it's a lot of fun you know we go with we cover some like real obvious ones i just want to know if you've if you've actually uncovered that there in fact is no mysterious third thing it's all lyrics are sex or drugs (laughs) sometimes both I mean, there, there's definitely some, uh, you know, we haven't covered too many that that go in a third direction, but uh, you know, there's ones that uh, I, I think the the uh, bigger ones to go is like the the ones with like the that discuss like depression and mental illness, and you, you know, uh, you you can go a bit serious with it, but. Uh, but most of the time, we like to have fun and cover songs like, you know, Cherry Pie and uh, Like a Prayer. Uh, and then we occasionally also take songs that, you know, might have some subtext, but we go way off the deep end and and um, go with some wild story that's still using the lyrics to 
you know, build our arguments, <laughs> but like, um, uh, like the, the Beach Boys Kokobo, I, I went in a weird direction with that and like, uh, cakes the distance. Uh, I'm, I think that's, that's a fun episode that I, I kind of took that into an interesting, uh, direction that the way I interpreted the lyrics. How fun. That's awesome. That's very fun. Well, we'll have the links for that and everything else that Bubbleweed's up to in the show notes. Check that out there. And uh, if you're not seeing the links in your podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmovieminute.com, and you can find everything there, along with information about our membership, uh, marvelmovieminute.com. And, uh, you know, members get uh, ad-free episodes, early episodes, uh, bonus episodes during our hiatus, all that good stuff. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 59. So, Pete... Thanks as always. Tomorrow, Andy. Something smells a little funky. Till next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>